You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at The Washington Post. Some misplaced classified documents, a president denying wrongdoing, a special counsel. Republicans have been quick to say what's happening to President Biden is just like that that's happening to Donald Trump. Is it? Joining me now, Washington Post chief correspondent Dan Baltz. Uh, Dan, belated Happy New Year. Welcome back to First Look. Thank you, Jonathan. Happy New Year to you. Glad to be back. Okay, so answer that question. Are there any similarities between um, the documents case involving Donald Trump and the documents case involving Joe Biden? Well, certainly there are similarities. I mean, you, in both cases, you have uh, classified documents uh, in the personal possession of a former, in one case, a former president, and the other, a former vice president, now president, um, seemingly in violation of government regulations. Uh, people are not authorized to have classified documents in their personal possession. Um, and so in, in that sense, there is, you know, there is clear parallelism. Uh, and now the other, you know, the other similarity is that there is a special counsel investigating what happened with the Biden documents, uh, as there has been for some time with what happened with the Trump documents. So in, in that way, uh, they, they are similar. But as you suggest, there are some significant differences. Uh, in this case, uh, the, the number of Biden classified documents is way, way smaller than than that that was in the possession of, of uh, former President Trump. Um, they were discovered by Biden's uh, personal lawyer, uh, who immediately informed the National Archives. Uh, in the case of Trump, the National Archives had to repeatedly try to get the documents from the former president, uh, ultimately to no avail, and which resulted in a, in a raid by the Justice Department after, after a subpoena was issued. Um, uh, we do not know the level of classification of the Biden documents. Um, and I would say one other aspect of this is that the, that the Biden team uh, has handled this in a way that has protected President Biden from earlier political fallout that might have had, I'd say might, I don't know, might have had some impact on the midterm elections. Oh, talk more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, the the documents were discovered before the election. And as you know, the uh, President Biden and, and Democrats uh, used the investigation at, into Mar-a-Lago and, and Trump's handling of those documents and, and the potential criminality involved in uh, possible obstruction uh, as a, you know, as a weapon to raise the issue of the, the so-called MAGA Republican Party uh, and Trump's role in it. Um, and it, it, but half of, you know, six days, I guess, before the election, it was discovered that Biden had a similar problem of a different magnitude, perhaps, of the legalities are quite different, as we're saying, uh, but nonetheless, this was not revealed until CBS reported it this week, uh, at which point the, the White House confirmed uh, that those documents had been discovered at the Penn-Biden offices in Washington, D.C. What they did not uh, reveal was that there had been other documents uh, found uh, in his residence or in his garage in Wilmington. So, um, you know, they now there there may be there may be legal answers from the Biden team as to why they 
uh, were not more forthcoming or transparent about things. But nonetheless, that's the way it unfolded. Mm -hmm. and, and President Biden talked about, uh, talked about the documents um, issue at a press conference this week. Uh, let's have a listen to what he said. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully. And Dan, as you saw, that was the president speaking in Mexico City. He talked again yesterday uh, about this. And it was yesterday that the special special counsel was was appointed. Um, Attorney General Merrick, uh, Eric Gar Merrick Garland chose Robert Hur, um, a top official or a U.S. attorney during the Trump administration to investigate this. Talk about who he is, if you can, but more importantly, what what is his role? What will he be doing? What will he be looking for? Well, he's a very experienced prosecutor. He's had he's had uh, significant roles in the in the Justice Department. Uh, top deputy to uh, Rod Rosenstein uh, at an earlier point. He was a U.S. attorney in Maryland. Uh, led some tough prosecutions on corruption in 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 Maryland. Uh, he is he is fully experienced. He had oversight. Uh, of the Mueller investigation, uh, as that was ongoing during the during the Trump presidency, and uh, and and it is one thing that that uh, allies of President Trump have kind of seized on to suggest that he's not necessarily uh, going to be a, 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 an even-handed uh, special counsel in this case. Um, but his reputation is that that he is a very very solid person uh, and a and a first-class prosecutor. You know, the, the attorney general said, has said repeatedly that he wanted to show transparency and accountability. I'm just wondering, will the public buy that or does the Justice Department have a credibility problem? Well, they certainly will, will have a uh, they will have a potential credibility problem. They already do with Republicans who are uh, many of whom still are, are uh, angry about the way uh, the the special counsel investigation and the criminal investigation have been carried out against uh, former President Trump. Um, I, I think that the, the issue is, uh, on, the, on the face of it, these are different cases. Um, the legalities seem to be different. Uh, the potential, you know, that it, it's not clear what the criminality is in the case of uh, the Biden documents, as opposed to uh, the the Trump case, in which there is there is the possibility of obstruction of justice involved. Um, nonetheless, it it puts the Justice Department in a very very difficult position, and Merrick Garland in a very difficult position, um, because um, if they if they treat these two presidents differently, um, and they treat let's say they treat former President Trump more harshly. Um, there will be tremendous political fallout. Um, you know, Jonathan, th this is this is a legal matter, um, and and there are clear differences in the legalities as we know them so far. And there's much that we may not know, um, but nonetheless, as a political matter, um, you know, as Adam Kinzinger said the, the other day when this first came out, the, you know, the former Illinois congressman, uh, you know, the political system does not do nuance. Um, yeah. And so we're in a situation here where the the politics of this are going to be pretty clear. Uh, Republicans uh, are seizing on this, um, and they are going to demand uh, 
investigations. You've already had from two uh, Republican House committee chairs uh, the expressions that they want to investigate this. They're going to ask for documents. They're going to ask for testimony on the Hill. Um, They're going to go full bore on this. Um, and so for, for, for the Biden administration, already facing any number of investigations from the new uh, House Republican majority, this is now a special counsel investigation. And as we all know from, you know, from many of these over many years past, these are not quick investigations. They take a, a good deal of time because the special counsels have to be as thorough uh, as they possibly can be, uh, which means that the Biden administration and the Biden White House um, will, will now be embroiled in a, a legal matter in addition to the investigations they face on Capitol Hill. Um, we've got less than two minutes left, but um, you know, as I read the stories and, I, and I'm listening to you, I can't help but think the huge difference between these two cases, if you will, is the obstruction of justice on the part of Donald Trump and the folks around Donald Trump in their, uh, in their documents case. So I, I, I take your point about politically folks that, you know, if Donald Trump is treated more harshly than say um, President Biden is, but obstruction of justice is a pretty big thing to be accused of. And it's right there for all to see, as you pointed out, multiple attempts by, by archives and DOJ to get those, those documents back were thwarted by, by, the, by the Trump team. But as you said, rightly, as you always do, Dan, uh, the I, and I wrote it down, the political system doesn't do nuance. And I just gave a very nuanced case there. I just filibustered because we had like 90 seconds and you wouldn't have time to answer in, <laughs> in that time. So Dan Baltz, as always, thank you for coming to First Look. Dan Baltz is Washington Post chief correspondent. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Jonathan, you too. And congrats on the new, uh, the new assignments uh, for the weekend. You're a busy man. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, I'm going to make sure that your weekends are busy, too. Um, we're going to keep the conversation going with the Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of The Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post Associate Editor Ruth Marcus and Washington Post columnist Hugh Hewitt. Ruth, Hugh, belated Happy New Year. Welcome back to First Look. Thank you. Thank you okay, so if memory serves, you are both lawyers, right? Yes. Uh, he was more of a lawyer than I am. Okay, but you've you've got a law degree. So. <laughs> All right. I so I want each of I want each of you um, to give me your your perspective on what's happening with uh, President Biden and the classified documents found at the Biden Center and in his garage. Ruth, you go first. Uh, under the circumstances. Uh, Merrick Garland did not have much of a choice at all about whether or not to appoint a special counsel, having decided to appoint a special counsel to look at Trump. Um, and by the way, um, we all need to remind ourselves, we didn't know then, um, back then in November, when he named Jack Smith to look into Trump, but he knew that he was going to have a Biden problem coming forward because by that point, the, doc, the first part of the set of documents had already been found and he had already tasked the U.S. attorney in Chicago to look into this other headache. So 
uh, it was almost inevitable when he made the decision. I slightly disagreed with that, but thought it was a close call to name a special counsel for Trump. Almost inevitable that he was going to have to do the same thing for uh, President Biden. Um, that doesn't mean that the two cases are similar for all of the reasons that Dan so very well laid out. Um, they seem rather dissimilar um, in terms of the scope of documents and even more the degree of uh, responsibility and accommodation that the Biden folks um, seem to perform in finding the documents, turning over the documents. There's no hint of obstruction. We don't know um, very much about because so much of the search warrant and other affidavits um, were redacted about the alleged obstructive uh, uh, conduct of Trump or others in his orbit. Um, but that's going to be a big difference. The important thing, and I know we don't do nuance, but you and I kind of do, um, is for the Justice Department to treat like cases alike. Uh, in this situation, the cases do not seem as much alike as they seem different. Um, we'll wait and see how the facts develop. Okay, Hugh, your rebuttal, because I know it's a rebuttal. Your rebuttal. No, actually, it's not. I think Ruth is exactly right. Um, I, I, do do nuance. I do do nuance. For five years at the Department of Justice uh, and the White House and OPM, I held the nation's highest security clearances. Ruth was covering it. So I know what the rules were. When I first walked in, I was a special assistant to then Attorney General William French Smith. His chief of staff assigned me the, the sensitive compartmented information warrants for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Corps. And there were three rules. If you leave this on your desk, you'll be fired. If you take it home, you will never be rehired again. And if you give it to anyone, you'll be prosecuted. The biggest double standard in Washington, and it, I just read this yesterday in Mike Pompeo's new memoir, I got the pre-publication copy. The biggest double standard isn't between Trump and Biden, it's between what happens to an ES-5 in the Navy or a GS-12 at the Department of Energy who mishandles classified information. Not only do they lose their security clearance, they get fired. And we don't know anything about the similarity to cases because even one document in the Trump files or one document in the Biden files could compromise America's national security. And we don't know what's in there. I think Ruth may remember, you're too young, Jonathan, Operation Monopoly. Uh, I was read right into that when I was at uh, DOJ. We built a tunnel under the Soviet embassy. And we had to get warrants to have that tunnel built. And Robert Hansen told the Soviets about it. One secret delivered, one warrant misplaced, and you blow up national security. So I don't think we can have any preliminary conclusions other than it's bad news for Joe Biden because the world land speed record for a special prosecutor is six months. Jake Stein investigating Ed Meese in 1984 to 1985 because of Iran-Contra. They take forever. They cost a lot of money. I've known Democrats and Republicans who've both been swept up in special counsel, independent counsel investigation. It's a nightmare, very colorfully described by President Trump, if you will recall, when uh, Jeff Sessions named Robert Mueller. And what I said throughout the Mueller investigation, I'm going to say now, we don't know nothing and we won't until both are done. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, stunned into silence that you both agree with each other <laughs> on this well, particular question. Stay tuned, Jonathan, we'll manage. No, I know, I know, we, we still have like 17 minutes. Um, but you know what, in, in doing my, 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 my research, you know, I'm seeing that there are actually a lot of experts out there going on the record to say this sort of thing 
happens more often than you think, that this happens all the time. This is not to you know, downplay the severity uh, of, what's, of what's happened, but this happens all the time. And I'm just wondering, is, how does this happen all the time? And why is it that people are being lax with classified materials, or is it that they are just awash in so much paper that it's actually kind of easy to mix the two together? Yeah, Hugh can speak to this also, but I would say, and I've been talking to national security and former national security officials this week to understand, you know, does this happen all the time? Are there garages all across Northern Virginia that are <laughs> stuffed to the gills with classified information? And certainly there is a problem of overclassification. And if you overclassify things, then people um, incorrectly and inappropriately don't take classification seriously. But I don't have a lot of sympathy for that argument, either on the part of President Biden or President Trump. When you have classified materials, you are tasked, as Hugh said, with handling them properly. That means looking at them in appropriate facilities and making sure they are appropriately safeguarded after you've looked at them. There's one thing I did want to say in response, and so to get to some disagreement, um, Hugh was um, warning about the the length and sprawling potential nature of independent counsel investigations. I think that that was way more true when we had the independent counsel who um, was not as closely supervised by the attorney general could um, petition to have his or her um, uh, authority expanded. I think that it's possible, and certainly with the Biden episode, where there does seem to be, though, the fact that the more documents were found in Wilmington uh, complicates the matter. I think it is possible to do a pretty contained, pretty quick uh, review of the Biden situation which my guess is will come up with the conclusion, which will be, my guess is, both legally correct and politically explosive, that there is not a warranted um, a criminal prosecution to come out here. Hugh? Well, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't think we know anything. Uh, President Biden has three residences, the, the main house in Delaware, the Rehoboth Beach House, and the mansion in McLean. Uh, are there documents at any of those three houses that have yet to be turned over? Mr. Hur is going to have to dive into that. There's a chain of custody issue. These documents were delivered and they were divided. How did that happen? Who had access to them in the locked garage with the Corvette? I mean, one of the worst answers ever in presidential history. Never answer these things impromptu. But the, the question you asked, John, and I want to go back to, it actually happens fairly often. Uh, I ran the Nixon Library twice. The second time was really recently for three years while we were finding our new young executive director, Jim Byron. And the National Archives just declared one day, they threw a flag and said, oh, we found classified documents in former President Nixon's post-presidency files. And we said, what? and they sequestered them. They belonged to us and they sequestered them. And I had to get on the phone with David Ferriero, the National Archivist at the time and his deputy and work out, what are you talking about? Turns out that President Nixon would write to President Clinton and President George H.W. Bush, and they would write back, and the archivists and in your Belinda became concerned that they were uh, sensitive compartmented information, and they, they proactively reclassified them, which I didn't have a problem with. We gave it to them, but it took forever to resolve. 
This stuff happens because we have to be concerned about the one document that reveals a source or method that gets somebody killed. That's why it's ultimately a very serious matter. But I don't think it will, if it's just these documents, just the three dots, there's three different uh, chain of custody. It shouldn't take that long for uh, President Biden's special counsel. I want to remind people, Jack Smith, the special counsel for Donald Trump, has two matters. One is the documents. The second is whether or not there's a January 6th incitement to sedition. Uh, I think that's nonsense, too. But they're going to have different timelines. It's just a bad, terrible uh, development for President Biden since he's running for re-election. That's why it's really bad. I want to raise the obvious Republican question. Hunter Biden's story was buried before the election of 2020. The Joe Biden document story did not appear before 2022. What convenient timing. I expect the Jordan Committee to dive into that. And I expect the Gallagher Committee to ask about the Penn-Biden Center and the fact that there appears to have been CCP funding for University of Pennsylvania and some question about who had access to that office and those documents. Yeah, OK. Um, I have to ask a question because um, I have been under, I guess, under the mistaken impression that only the NSC can or national security agencies can classify documents. But if I heard you correctly, the National Archives can classify documents? That what they did was they threw a flag and they, they sequestered the documents for processing in their Maryland facility with which they operate with the national security agencies. So they uh, proactively reclassified or initially classified these post-presidency documents took them away to Maryland where they're being reviewed along with a gazillion other documents for their appropriate classification departure. So they don't actually classify, they just throw the warning up. I see, I see. That is a good, a, a good clarification. Let's More talk about, we need, <laughs> right. All right, we need to talk about um, Speaker McCarthy. He is almost one week in, I think it was the early morning hours of last Saturday, um, where he finally was elected. Um, both of you wrote columns uh, about Speaker McCarthy with very different conclusions. Um, Ruth, you criticized McCarthy for pursuing power simply for the sake of power. But I mean, isn't that the way well, of Washington? It, it, it is kind of the way of Washington, but he is a particularly florid example of <laughs> ambition on trammeled. Uh, why did he, the notion that we, that the Republican Party and the House had to be put through the spectacle of Kevin McCarthy and the House enduring 15 votes for the speakership, 15 votes as he kept on giving away more and more and more of the speaker's power to the craziest corners of his caucus to set up, uh, my friend Hugh mentioned the, um, uh, Jim Jordan committee, the committee on the weaponization of the federal government. Um, the, it, it's also been called by the Democrats the tinfoil hat committee, and I think that's a much more accurate uh, description of what its mandate and intention seems to be. It's all spun up over a lot of nothing from my point of view. Um, and so Speaker McCarthy is not the only ambitious uh, man ever to come to Washington. But he um, just, I, I thought, humiliated himself, um, harmed his party, and injured the institution in the way he um, 
successfully pursued the speakership. Uh, I hope it was worth it to him. It wouldn't have been worth it to me. Hugh, your uh, your thoughts on Speaker McCarthy's first week and reaction to um, Ruth's assessment? Well, now we have a deep disagreement. I've known Kevin McCarthy since 1989, and you don't get to be Speaker of the House unless you are driven by ambition. Every Speaker of the House, with perhaps the exception of Paul Ryan, who didn't really want the job and wasn't really well suited to the job because he was the wonk, you have to be a Nancy Pelosi-driven, ambitious politician who knows how to manage a party. What Speaker McCarthy may have given away was too many of his sticks, but he kept all of his carrots. And I actually think he could be speaker for quite a long time because maps will be redrawn in Ohio and North Carolina because of the Supreme Court elections that the RNC and Kevin McCarthy helped win in Ohio and North Carolina. I think his majority will grow in 24. And I think he's going to be there at least four and perhaps maybe 14 years as speaker. But he has worked his entire life to get to this job. His first try at it came up short because of a bad interview that he gave. His second try, he was never going to give up. I spent 25 minutes talking to Chip Roy on the air yesterday. There were two holdouts, the 14, who wanted authority over the budget process and the weaponization committee or the Jordan committee. And then the six nuts, all right? So I've got no time for the six nuts who voted present. The 14 were after authority over the budget. I think they won some points that Kevin doesn't mind giving away, but they could have gotten there a lot easier. And I actually think he's going to be a very good speaker for the Republicans. And I think Jim Jordan is going to be a nightmare for the Democrats because he knows how to run a committee hearing. Um, Ruth, we've got less than two minutes left, but I just, it seems to me that that Hugh has a, a an overly rosy assessment of, of Speaker McCarthy, particularly in trying to, you know, link him to Speaker Pelosi in some way. I mean, the one difference to my mind, maybe you disagree, is that Speaker Pelosi, yeah, she was ambitious, but we know what her values are. And I am, I am sort of hard pressed to say or even elucidate what Speaker McCarthy firmly and truly believes in. Well, I think that th that is um, one difference. It is absolutely true that no one gets to be Speaker of the House or President of the United States or anything else, Supreme Court justice, without having a good amount of ambition. Uh, but the differences between Speaker Pelosi and Speaker McCarthy are she does have a set of ideological values that has propelled her throughout her career that actually has made her a, a target, a favorite target for Republicans complaining about, um, you know, the San Francisco Democrat. Kevin McCarthy seems much more kind of ideologically flexible. The other really big difference, and we'll see how this plays out, is that throughout her speakership, Nancy and in getting there, Nancy Pelosi showed that she was incredibly adept at using the levers of power of the speakership to control and in some ways terrorize her caucus and make sure that they behaved. Will Kevin McCarthy be as adept at that? I would um, probably take that bet with Hugh about whether he, how long he's gonna last as speaker. And certainly I'd be surprised if it's 14 years. This is gonna be great to watch. I don't, watch think, I, don't I, I wasn't gonna say that Nancy Pelosi terrorized her caucus. I'm glad Ruth did. Kevin McCarthy's <laughs> not going to terrorize his caucus. <laughs> well, you know, Ruth Ruth gives us a, a good benchmark because to to judge Speaker McCarthy um, 
with because both Speaker Pelosi and now Speaker McCarthy had the same majority, very slim majority. We got to see what Speaker Pelosi was able to do successfully with it, and we'll be able to see uh, in real time with our own eyes whether Speaker McCarthy will be as successful. Sorry, Hugh, we gotta go. Hugh Hewitt, Ruth Marcus, thank you both as always for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks and thank congrats, you, Jonathan. Jonathan. I guess you don't get weekends anymore. No, you don't. <laughs> You're seven <laughs> days a week. Do you get thank Christmas you. off? <laughs> no, I had to work Christmas, Hugh. <laughs> It's incredible. Anyway, we got to go. We got to go. Ruth, Hugh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.